All welcome to FinTech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today's show, we have Zachary Dan, co-founder and CTO of Act Analytics. Act Analytics is a platform for better understanding the environmental, social, and governance impacts or records of the companies you invest in and helping advisors make better decisions around those factors. And with that, here's my interview with Zachary. Hello, Zach. Hi, how's it going? Good. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for your time as well. I appreciate uh, being invited to your show. So Zachary Dan of Act Analytics, tell us about Act Analytics. Sure. So Act Analytics is an ESG analytics company that builds tools for financial professionals. Excellent. That's uh, that's very. <laughs> I love it when people are, are very concise in what they do, and I think that's a perfect, <laughs> perfectly concise description. Yeah. All right. So essentially, uh, let's talk about the history of this now. So, what led you to create Act Analytics? Sure. So I was motivated by the 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 ESG landscape. Now, two years ago, when I started this, I realized there's a lot of a lot of data out there in the world for ESG, and there's there's companies who are taking this data and turning it into ratings, and neither of those two things serve most people because the data is very difficult for most to deal with, and the ratings are difficult to 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 understand. You don't really get to see what's going on, how it's constructed. It's a bit of a black box. So I thought the way that I can contribute to the ecosystem is by creating tools that allow people to to construct ESG portfolios and do analytics in a way that both gives the richness of the raw data, but the also the, the ease of use of the score as well. Yeah. So I'm gonna let me let me jump in here and provide a little background on these challenges that you addressed here. And I mean I've got a lot of experience in dealing with ESG um, ESG suppliers for well over 10 years now. There's a couple of issues in the space. I'd say first and foremost, it's really hard to delegate your ethics or your sense of social responsibility. And what you consider ethical may not be ethical in someone else's eyes. Then it comes down to also how companies construct these portfolios. Like what are the criteria for, for deeming someone to be ESG positive, so environmental social governance or you know the other one, SRI, social responsible investing is with the other category, but ESG is more the kind of terminology that everybody uses now. What what basically uh, constitutes a company that passes that? So there's a couple of things we can do. There's negative screens, which say that if you're in this sector of the economy or you're involved in these environments, you're out of the you're out of the realm of opportunities. We're not going to look at that. So it's a very binary situation. You're in or out. And then there is the EST, and then there's positive screens, which if you're doing this, it's kind of a plus for you. We're definitely consider it. And then the last piece is kind of the scorecard, right? And this is where we talked about the scorecard essentially spits out a number or a score that says this, this company is, is environmentally you know, responsible, whatever it is. And w- typically what I've seen is you see they get graded upon a number of criteria, so environmental social governance. And that leads to some weird results. It leads to some weird results that many people would think are weird. So things like, for example, companies in the oil sands making it into an ESG portfolio. Now you think you hear that and you think, well, what about the environmental impact? Well, the environmental impact might be score, might be bad, and they might be one of the better candidates in a bad sector. But if they're doing really well on social and governance, their score goes up. And this is one of the big criticisms of this entire space is that these scorecards are are gameable to some degree, right? You know, oh, you need so many people and so many women in senior leadership that are that are uh, you know present. 
great, we'll just promote a bunch of people, right? As opposed to actually making it a core process of what it is, mm-hmm. how you run your business. So tell me how you kind of help solve for this gaming of the scoring system. That's, okay, there's a lot of good points in there. So I, I should start by mentioning Act Analytics is the only company I've come across and built that allows you to to change the weightings of each of these different categories in a in a rating system so you can screen industries in and out and you can also decide say hey i think that these particular factors or groupings of factors say environmental or social are are more or less important and you can do that you can you can choose you can choose the way that companies are benchmarked as well. If you'd like a global view comparing all companies to all other companies, or uh, in your example, how you said, well, some raters compare oil and gas companies to other oil and gas companies. So it really depends on how on how people want to conceptualize ESG through like a global leadership lens or through a, a best in breed lens and both of them have their their uses in the world you know you can if if companies in all sectors are being pressured to change over time and everybody's doing this then that is one way that, to change the world that yeah. that might not sit right for some people who say look I just don't want to own oil and gas at all um even if it's if it's applying some inc- incremental pressure to that industry I just I think it's just wrong and I don't want to own it. And that's totally fine. I think that one of the mistakes of 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 what's out there is this idea that you can become the standard scoring methodology for ESG because like you pointed out, it's just different for everybody. And I think it's I think it's a mistake. I think it's kind of primarily driven by uh by a desire for branding rather than a desire to actually give people a a, a good methodology to work with. So just so I'm not losing my my message in there, we allow people to 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 customize how how they want different parts of ESG to contribute to how companies are being scored, how they want to to construct their rating system. Yeah. So I mean, I think um well, we're going to dive into that. I just want to touch upon some of the things you said there that I think are valuable and, and need some elaboration. You know. Simple examples like if your your sense of what's important to you is very individualistic, right? So I'll say, for example, like I know people in particular who actually work in this space who basically very much are not a you know anti fossil fuel free, but not anti nuclear, right? And that can be seen as depending on your opinion there. I mean, nuclear is either the solution to energy capacity issues with with fossil fuel free or another danger that we just don't want to take on, right? So. That's your opinion, right? And there are a lot of ESG providers that screen out for nuclear and other ones that don't, right? So again, it's you can't a lot of what has what exists in the marketplace sits on a is is designed and packaged based on a certain set of criteria and sits on a shelf. And that what's out there in the marketplace, and that's what I what I tell all clients when we talk about this, is we don't know what's important to you because what's important to you might not be available in the marketplace. So if you if that's not the case, you have to figure out how to compensate for that. And what you're saying is your tool allows people to take greater granularity in their in, in translating or what you're saying is that your tool allows them to take their kind of belief structure, get granular about it, and overlay that belief structure onto an analytics platform that spits out a portfolio that matches their unique value pro- their unique view of the ESG universe. That's yeah, that right? 
That's correct. Yeah, that's correct. You, you and we, we that, put that in packaging <laughs> and use it going forward. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to transcribe that or, and put it. <laughs> Good. But, yeah, so, and, and and it was what's what's challenging is um, is making that easy uh, for people, mm-hmm. which is making making it easy to as a user experience to to have that level of customization. That's mm-hmm. I think really one of the part of the magic of the uh, of the tool is that that huge level of customization and granularity and visibility without making things difficult for people. That was that's really like the that's really the core of, of our goal, right? Yeah, I mean, it's you, you have the, what I'll call the density issue, right? Like there's a lot of lot of content, a lot of decision-making that can go into this decision. And you have to find, you have to solve for a UI experience that doesn't overwhelm people, right? So you, yeah. know, you have to get to provide enough simplicity without losing the, well, without losing the information that it becomes actionable, but still purposeful, right? So yeah, yeah. difficult. Difficult challenge. So let's let's walk through that experience. So tell me about how the tool gets used by the end user. What's the experience look like start to finish? Sure. Okay. So the first thing that you see when you enter the platform is a list of clients that you can select. You can select each client and go into a client workspace. That's where you can choose clients, uh, particular ESG ESG weightings as like what what components of ESG does this client care more or less about and how much should each of those things contribute to the rating. Uh, when that rating is constructed, that's saved to the client and and is persistent to that client. So if I come back later, then then that scoring system that you've constructed with your client through by talking to them, figuring out what they care about is going to be the same. Uh, then you can upload their uh, their accounts. We have a number of integrations: uh, TD Veo, Black Diamond, and uh, a few more on the way uh, that I can say we're we're almost ready to go with Riskalyze and a few others. So you can synchronize their their accounts, a client's accounts in the platform, and then get an overall scorecard and report on their holdings. Uh, and you can dig into their dig into their holdings. Uh, generate single company reports uh, that are going to be tailored to the metrics that you define for the client. You can also search for new companies that the system will recommend based on your client's uh, ESG profile. And you can also search for new funds as well. That's a high level overview of, of what it does. Cool. So end of the day, I am applying these screens. I'm basically applying what's important to me and it's coming out with not just here's what you should be buying but here is the you know composition um what happens on an ongoing basis like is this is this constantly being checked as new data comes in and how does that work so the the data is updated about once every two weeks and Mm -hmm. most of it is based off of corporate reports so Mm -hmm. it is updated ongoing and you will see if there are if there are big changes in your portfolio excellent so the so that said, um, where is this, you say corporate reports. So tell me about all the different flows of data you have that, that are coming into here. Sure. So the the primary source of data, the raw data comes in from Refinitiv. And that is then run through our uh, scoring methodology and algorithms to produce, a, uh, produce our various levels of scores. 
And so that information comes out, out of uh, corporate reports, uh, corporate sustainability reports, or, and other various public sources. Excellent. So bottom line, that includes things like looking for any kind of, say, uh, media headline risks. So for example, um, you know, no one wants to hear about a company doing something terrible in a country or, you know, human rights violation, bribery scandal, whatever it is, and then go and the next month be like, oh, I, 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 not only did I own that when this happened, but I still own it. What is going on? So are you, I think you're scanning for those types of uh, headline risks? Yeah. Yeah. So that's another project that we're, that we're, that's in an open beta. So that's a, a news analytics tool that we're, that we're just about to launch and take out a beta and it's designed really uh to to compete with a company called true value labs it's uh the idea is you go out you find sig sentiment signals in the news that are that have uh a esg topic associated with it and a company associated with it and you create a time series signal and so this is going to 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 make our analytics more real time and be able to alert you to these kinds of events. So that's working standalone right now, but it's not currently integrated into the main UI. Well, it might be by the time we finish with the time this airs. So we'll see. Um, yeah. So excellent. I mean, you know, I want to say a couple of things. First off, your your timing is interesting because we are going through a massive boom in ESG investing. Um, I mean, it, it's been a an enormous boom I've been talking about for years on the institutional side, but only recently have the um have the, has the retail side really been paying a lot of close attention to it and you know the numbers are growing substantially and finally every advisor's got to kind of be forced to look at it thankfully um again that's mainly with you know prepackaged product you know what you're talking about now is going well beyond that uh what's the feedback been from the earliest users you've had on this the feedback is well we recently redesigned the ui which was mm -hmm. uh very quant focused Mm -hmm. Originally, so I have a quantitative background, and essentially, I first built the tool for my for myself. What would I do if I was going to build a ESG portfolio and then need to report on it? So I wasn't as focused on creating a workspace for 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 a financial professional to to categorize and organize different different people into different buckets and mm -hmm. profiles. So that needed to change. We have about 20 paying clients at the moment. Um, and we and these are people who who log in almost every day. So they really like it, but we we knew that we had to to take our user experience to the next level. Uh, the news analytics has been very, very well received recently. I think a lot of people like the real-time aspect of it and they like to be able to click and see the articles that are creating signals. And it's a bit it's a bit more simple of a tool to to understand. It takes a bit of getting it takes a bit of time to you, you really need to understand the methodology of the main UI um, to get the most out of it. And um, and we've needed to work on the UI to 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 improve that experience. And we're just about to 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 relaunch it, actually. Interesting. I mean. Frankly, I think the reality is, is that if you are an advisor who wants to build customized portfolios around this sort of thing that are more specifically centered around the client's actual values and down to the individual client, I mean, like there's not, 
you, you're pretty much without other options at this point. So I think you're, you're well positioned yeah. there. Um, and, there's any, nothing else any, really that can do it. No, there's nothing. And I mean, like, you know, congratulations on you. You got, you got first mover advantage on this. So any thoughts towards any other integrations you'd like to see take place with this? I want this to become a very complete product in the fullness of time, a very complete financial um, analytics toolkit. So I've focused on ESG for now, but I, the workflow that we came up with is is uh, very intuitive, and we've had really good feedback from the new UI. And I think there's lots of opportunities to include more built-out portfolio construction and AI that helps people that helps people build portfolios using both ESG and financial considerations. And I would also like to build a a sleeve of the of the UI that allows clients to go the clients of the of the wealth manager or wealth professional to log in and do some investigation of their own and some research of their own that they can then just like a a, a back and forth between a, a financial advisor and their client uh, through this through this tool I think would be amazing. Yeah, I think. Uh... I think there's a lot of potential for it. I mean, everything from, you know, IPS generation to being able, I mean, I think even the future, being able to push some of this information out to client portals, right? Like being able to, for them to get, you know, more customized reporting around what it is they they hold in relation to their values. Um, there's, there's, there's definitely a lot of upside. So like I said, uh, first mover advantage, you have some, you have some nice, uh, <laughs> nice uh, timing there. So uh, that said, uh, basically, I think you've done a wonderful job. And I'd like to kind of wrap things up always with three questions that I ask everybody at the end of the uh, podcast. And the first question I have for you is if you had one wish for something that you could change in your company or the industry of a whole, as a whole, what would it be? In the industry as a whole, I'd like to see the commoditization of ESG data. I think so that'll define help what that Define people. what that means in your mind. Well, like financial data, if you want to get earnings uh, on a company, it's like carbon numbers should be just like that. It shouldn't be like this should just be available everywhere. And uh, how people choose to use that information is uh, is what I think is is really valuable uh, or should be more valuable than than uh, just, you know, I just don't think it should be difficult for people to to get this raw data and. And the state of the world right now is it kind of is. Well, it's interesting too because we 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 live in a data rich world uh, where basically the um, I mean frankly oil is the new data is the saying and even without COVID data was surpassing oil in terms of revenue. So I think it just it comes down to as more demand crops up over time you're starting you're going to start to see these different data providers uh, or sources being provided from God knows how many places uh, that we didn't even think of that would will weigh in on this so. Uh, it's that said, it's still a little bit subjective because how do you how do you actually you can't you can't fully fit on a spreadsheet just how ethical a company is, uh, but you can you have to figure out how to how to measure that in real time and in reality sometimes, right? So, next question for you is uh, what's been the biggest challenge in getting the company to where it is today? The biggest challenge has definitely been the engineering. That's what's what's really hard, and I think that's what's stopping a lot of people from. A lot of people want to, like, they want to do what we've done. Who doesn't want to create a ESG tool that lets people see the richness of the data and choose the weightings of how they, you know, this is this isn't something that that is 
you know, I want flying cars, right? Like, is it, mm-hmm. is it easy to do? Right. <laughs> like it's, I'm not the first person to want something like this in general. Um, but I think our company is the first ones to actually do it. Yeah. And get um, out of the gate. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I, 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 uh, I hazard to guess that you're probably right on that. I'm not really sure if I've ever seen anything else that quite does that. I mean, to date, a lot of these, you know, like I said, are there reporting agencies who will compile this stuff and, and publish reports on a regular basis about this, but you well, know, not... I think that there's another there's another issue is that a lot of the companies out there there's there's like a pricing segmentation game going on. I think I don't know. Yeah. This is my theory, which is the companies that are doing the ratings, uh, the date, the raw data. Like I said, it's not a commodity; it's still valuable. So if they go out and make a tool that's good enough for most people, then they're undercutting their data business. The, the, the raw data is still worth a lot of money to quants, right? So true. if so, if you're going to yeah. go sell that stuff on the market for really cheap, and these are the these are the players that have the resources to, well, potentially, I don't. It's it was no easy task for me, but you know, if they wanted to get in the game and you throw enough engineering hours at it and enough money at it, you can do it. I've done it, right? But I think that there's these built-in conflicts that are not so uh, not so morally driven that are preventing these kinds of things from existing. Yeah, I think you're. I'm at a hazard to say that there's there's definitely a segmentation system within the data, you know, marketplace for sure. Like there's certain certain data that is found to be more valuable or it's more monetizable to the likes of say hedge funds or institutional investors that won't trickle down to the retail level for a while until such time as it becomes more commodified, as you said, where you know there's enough sources where I can get this. You know, it doesn't cost it costs you peanuts to get a data feed on say the S&P 500's current. Mm-hmm. level but you know if you want to get you know data feed on i don't know let's uh, i'll use the old uh, the old um, trope about uh, satellite photos of of number of cars sitting in a walmart parking lot parking uh, lot to try to gauge sales right like you know that is data that costs quite a lot of money because you know mm-hmm. they know they can monetize off it in fact uh, for anyone who wants to learn more about this space Go back and listen to one of my early episodes with a company called Quandle and, and uh, Clayton Fike. Uh, they sold to NASDAQ and they were one of the largest pro- providers of quote unquote alternative data in the world. And we talk about some of these really crazy examples of how people are able to take data that was never sought as saw as actionable in the market and and actually, you know, make it a, find a lot of hedge funds willing to pay a lot of big money to get some of this stuff. So uh, is what it is. So last question for you is what excites you the most about what it is you're working on and what gets you out of bed every morning to keep fighting the good fight? I mean, as you said, you've seen a lot of engineering challenges and everything else, and you're still, you're an early innovator in this space. Um, what keeps you going? What keeps me going? What it gets me excited. So right now I'm focusing a lot of effort on uh, natural language processing. Um, and that's been really Explain exciting. Explain listeners what that means because that is sure. a lovely, a lovely tech talk of cyber, oh, sorry, of, um, of a version of artificial intelligence. So natural language processing, what does that mean? So it's pretty much the, it's a, the techniques for extracting information from text written by humans. Mm. So this is, these are, this is the toolkit that you use to analyze a, a news article about uh, an oil spill or something that is just, you know, completely unstructured. And so that's been, that's been, really really interesting and challenging what 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 was a recent 
a, a recent advancement that I made was dealing with sentences that are syntactically complicated um, and that have multiple entity mentions. So say mm. you can have a, a sentence that compares Apple to, to Google and a reader like Apple, unlike Google, is my favorite company. So like the where the sit the the words that modify Apple are way on the opposite side of the sentence. It's not syntactically close to that word. So these these nuances and subtleties can have can can be very easy for a human to understand and very difficult for a computer to understand. And a lot mm-hmm. of the NLP tools that are out there are really designed for um for a content that's high highly dense in emotional content like social media etc so these these subtleties aren't captured in a lot of the work that's um um state of the practice for nlp today so i had to do a lot of my own innovation and and that was that was really really exciting and that's that's kind of what's been keeping me uh keeping me excited uh lately yeah, it's, I mean, I think it's, what's it called, uh, more of a paradox of artificial intelligence, which is things that are really complicated are easy for the human mind, are, are easy for machines, yet things that are very simple for the human mind to adapt yeah. are actually really complicated for machines. Uh, and we were actually having this conversation not that long after, I just got it up here, The Guardian published that article that, that was the title of it. It was, uh, a robot wrote this entire article, Are You Scared Yet, Human? <laughs> And it was using the GP3, uh, GT, GPT3 uh, yeah. protocols. Yeah, like it's uh, if you if you think that machine that artificial intelligence is still off in the future and we're not going to get to anything interesting anytime soon, take a look at that and realize that no human being <laughs> wrote that or edited it. Um, so you know, same. No, the, same, a human edited that. A human edited that. Did still. a human edit that? I thought it was just yeah. the, the machine wrote it. But anyway, the machine no. definitely did a decent job of writing it. Although I am glad that they said that they would sacrifice themselves for humanity. So that was, you know, we don't have to worry about that yet. Asimov's laws of robotics are, are, are still taking hold. Deep breath. But overall, I mean, what we're talking about here is kind of the reverse, right? It's it's basically how, you know, never mind the, the consumption, but it's the understanding. And I've actually seen some pretty cool applications of natural language processing. Uh, one company, which I hope to have, which I'll probably have on uh, later in 2021, uh, where they were literally using it to dissect the entire the uh, entirety of a will and essentially able to summarize the entire will all within one page uh, with just a oh. bunch of like, yeah. So I, you know, like the advisor won't have to read the will anymore because we've extracted all the valuable content and made sure all the clauses are there. And if clauses aren't there, then they've been highlighted. And it's just like, where have you been all my life? <laughs> like, Amazing. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. Right. Like it's um, yeah, it's, it's uh, <laughs> things are getting nuts and they're getting nuts in an awesome way, you know? Yeah, you know, I like to say yeah, people don't realize this, but we actually do live in the future. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I'd like to thank you for taking the time to come on the show. I really do like what you've done specifically because, hey, it's, you know, I've, I've got it. There's a place in my heart for people or for people respect matching an individual investor's belief system with how they actually execute on investing. And I, you know, when people fight back or make comments about, you know, why they shouldn't be performance-based comments about why people shouldn't be doing ESG, it's like, no, you're missing the point. Like if, if someone just, you know, if someone doesn't have a belief in something, why are you forcing it upon them? And it doesn't matter what that point is. It could be that they used to work for a, you know, Fortune 500 company that treated them very well, very poorly on the exit. Forcing them to own that company doesn't make any sense, right? Like, you know, someone who a large company you polluted in their own backyard, forcing them to own that makes mm-hmm. no sense either, right? So like, 
you know, it doesn't matter what the reason is, just respect their belief system, right? So, and you're helping enable that. So I thank you for it. Uh, thank you for your time as well. And I, I appreciate it. I want to say again, thank you. Uh, I appreciate you having me on your, on your show. Thanks. Take care. So that was my interview with Zachary Dan of Act Analytics. I hope you found that informative, enjoyed that. Uh, and if you are in the ESG space, I would say definitely take a look at what they're doing. I don't think I've seen that level of granularity and that level of flexibility anywhere else. So as always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please review on iTunes, Stitcher, or visit your podcast. Until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at fintechimpact.co.